We're continuing in our Peculiar People series as we're going through 1 Peter. And uh, Peculiar People is not referring to being weird just to be weird, uh, <laughs> just for, for the sake of being odd and different. Uh, we're talking about being set apart as Christians, being holy, being sanctified. And compared to the world system and the way the world operates, uh, we should stand out. We should be peculiar as it compares to the rest of the world. That's what we're talking about in this series. You all know that whenever you get a job uh, and you, you read the job description, along with that there are certain job expectations, right? Every employer has expectations of you as an employee. We expect you to be this way. We expect you to do this. There's expectations that are attached to every position that you have, no matter what it is. And uh, those are usually pretty clearly defined and pretty clearly understood. And uh, there's problems when you don't meet those expectations, right? Uh, According to Indeed, which is obviously a very popular uh, job search, we've we've seen all the commercials. A lot of you have probably at some point used Indeed. Um, And according to Indeed, uh, the top expectations just about universally, no matter what job you're applying for, uh, are these. Employees are expected to have a positive attitude. That makes sense. Hard to, uh, hard to have uh, a lot of times. But have a positive attitude, dress properly, be punctual, be dependable, and to meet deadlines. And I would imagine that just about every employer is having an increasingly harder time uh, with employees matching those, uh, those ob- objectives and expectations. I mean, as you look around society, you see a pretty large lack in just about every one of those areas. So uh, that has to be pretty hard uh, for employers. But nonetheless, that remains the top expectations. And some of you, I'm sure if I were to ask you, you probably have experienced some pretty crazy uh, unrealistic expectations throughout your, your history of, of work and, and various jobs. We probably could all tell each other some pretty entertaining stories about some of the expectations that we found out we had. Uh, there's, there's always expectations, though, everywhere in life, not just with jobs. Uh, there's, there's expectations that your family has of you and you of them. There's expectations that you have with your friends, and there's just expectations everywhere, everywhere. And there are actually some established expectations for peculiar people, too. For us, for the church, for the Christian. There are very clearly defined expectations. Once we have committed our lives to Christ, once we've become a Christian, we're now part of the church, the body of Christ, we're peculiar people. Well, with that come some expectations. And that's what we're going to look at today as we continue in 1 Peter and in this series. So 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 22 through chapter 2 and verse 3. 1 Peter 1, 22 through 2, 3 is where we're going to be today in our time together. And I will be reading from the ESV, just to let you know where I'm at as you follow along. And I would invite you to go ahead and, and get over to that passage, 1 Peter 1, 22 through 2, 3. And we're going to talk about some of these very clear expectations. Um, Verse 22 is, you you could really sum up uh, what Peter is saying there by saying, love earnestly. 
That's really kind of his summary statement here. Love earnestly. That's the first major expectation, that we will love earnestly, we'll love sincerely, we'll love intentionally, we'll love faithfully, we'll love well, that we love each other well. That's an expectation of what it means to be a peculiar person, a Christian. Verse 22 of chapter 1, he says this, having, having purified your soul, so he's assuming something, right? He's assuming this has already happened, that you have purified your souls, that you stand pure. Your soul has been made clean. Your heart has been made clean. Not perfect. He doesn't say, having, having been made perfect now. He, but he does say, having purified, having cleansed your souls. How? How does that happen? Is that something that, that we do ourselves, that we bring about, that we're able to manufacture somehow? No. Look at what it says. Having purified your souls by, this is the means of our purification, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth. So there is something that we do. There is a a responsibility on our part. There is an action that results in our purification. But it's not an action that we would typically think of. It's not like something that we do ourselves or we bring about. Rather, it's by a yielding. It's by a choosing to obey the truth. Well, what is the truth? Well, we know Jesus himself in John 17, before he went to the cross in his last um, high priestly prayer for his disciples, before he left them to go to the cross, he said to his father, your word is truth. So the word of God is truth. And specifically in the context here, Peter is talking about the gospel, the gospel. That's the truth that we have, all that are in Christ have obeyed, have chosen to yield ourselves to the truth of the gospel found in the truth of God's word. That's how we are purified. So having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth, to the gospel, for, here's the the purpose of that, the purpose of our purification, for a sincere brotherly love. Love one another earnestly, intentionally, with, with passion, from a pure heart. See how this all fits together? Having purified your souls or your heart by your obedience to the truth, now you are able to love one another with a sincere love. Not a superficial, not a self-focused love. Rather, a self-sacrificing love. The way Jesus loves us. We're to love one another with that kind of love, earnestly, from a pure heart. And it, it should remind us of what Jesus himself said, and certainly I think Peter would have been reminded of this. In John 13, 35, Jesus said this, and this is also right before he goes to the cross. This is like his, his last words of instruction to his disciples. And I'm sure it burned into their mind and their heart. And so Peter probably is recalling this as he's writing to the churches scattered abroad Asia in this letter. John 13, 35, Jesus said, by this, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. That's how, you're, how everybody's going to know that you're really mine. That's how everybody's going to know you're different. 
That's how everybody's going to know you are set apart and you're set apart unto me. You've been with me. You're my followers. That's how they're going to know that what you say is not just your own words, but it's mine. It's all going to come down to your love for one another. By this, Jesus said, this one fact, loving one another, that's how people are going to know that you're actually my disciples. And church, we need to remember that. We need to heed that well and apply that today because uh, our world is completely absent of love, of real, meaningful love. Our world is completely consumed with, uh, with self and, and their own agenda and selfishness. It's on display everywhere. Uh, there's these uh, kind of imitations of love, uh, but it's not really, really love, not fulfilling, not lasting love. And what they need to see in us is something different. And we can talk a good talk. And we can put on a good show. We can, we can perform as much as we may want to. But unless they see something different, namely the love of Christ in us, there's not going to be anything about us that's worth paying attention to. That's how the world today, just as the world then we'll know that we really are disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ and that what we have to offer is something no one else can offer. It all comes down to loving one another. Also, in 1 John 4, 7, and 8, John there admonishes this, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God. And knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. So you can say all day long, oh, I love God, I love God. I know God, I'm I'm a Christian. You can say that all day long. But if you don't actually have love for one another, if you don't love one another well, if you don't love each other the way Christ loves you, then it really doesn't matter, and it, and it shows that you don't really know God, even though you might claim to. Love is what it comes down to. Let me, let me say it this way. Loving one another is proof that our heart has been changed by the gospel. Loving one another is proof that our heart has been changed by the gospel. You want to know if someone's really a Christian? You want to know if someone has really been changed by the gospel they say they've believed? Look at how they love. Look at at my life. And I realize that's a very dangerous thing to invite you to do. But look at my life and say, okay, he's up here preaching. He's up here teaching. He talks to us uh, from the Word of God every single week. But how's his love? And, And I'll just tell you right now, sometimes it's not so good. So I'm not talking about perfection. I am, however, talking about consistency. What is consistently true of me? What is consistently true of you? We have this ability, in fact, not just an ability, we have this responsibility to look at each other's lives and to evaluate one another in love. I am to look at you and to to evaluate your life and to see how you're living your life and does it match what you say that you believe? Does it match the Word of God? And if not, I am to lovingly come alongside you 
and guide you back. That's the role of shepherd. But I need that as well. And just because I'm the pastor doesn't mean I don't need that in my life and that I don't need that from you. We're actually all called to do that with one another. We're called to to walk in that way together in love and to guide one another along the path of love. Because loving one another is proof that our heart has been changed by the gospel. And that is what is going to set us apart. That's what's going to, uh, to be this incredible contrast to the way life is done out there in the world. Very important. So that's the first expectation of someone who is truly a peculiar person in light of the gospel that they say they believe and have been changed by. So, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth, for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Verse 23, since you have been born again. And that word since, that's a connection back to what was just said. That's, that's back there in verse 22. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable. So it, it's not of anything... Uh, fleshly. It's not of anything you know in the world. That's not what has made you born again. Nothing that will perish. It's the imperishable seed through the living and abiding Word of God. That's the truth that we obeyed and responded to, the truth of the gospel. So in other words, Peter is saying the reason we are to love another, one another fervently is because we have been born again, and we've been born again by the imperishable seed of the Word of God. That's how it all fits together. That's how these two verses are fitting. You've purified your souls by obedience to the truth of God's Word, and since you've been born again, since you've been made pure through your new birth, not of imperishable seed, or, but, but rather of imperishable. It, it's all through the living and abiding Word of God. That's how you're to love one another. That's the why, and that's the how. It's why you're to love one another, and that's how you do it. it, it it's, all, it's all fitting together in this wonderful, this wonderful puzzle. Uh, and if you, if you separate it, if you try to separate it, it's not going to, to be what it needs to be. You're not going to have the whole picture. You can't come to Christ, you can't be born again without the Word of God. And you can't love one another well unless you've been born again, which happens by coming to the Word of God. That's how it all fits together. And then the emphasis is made on this Word, on the Word of God, the fact that it is imperishable. It doesn't ever fade. It doesn't change. It's always timeless. It's, it's always relevant. Before I go to that verse where Peter is emphasizing that, uh, let me just say and remind all of us, uh, it's very trendy to talk about, I mean, in the church, it's very trendy, and as a pastor, I'm constantly hearing, you know, make sure you are, are in tune with, with ways of, of communicating to the best of your ability, and make sure that your church is as effective as possible, and to a certain degree, that's absolutely right. We, we should be doing that. I should be doing that. But, you know, as, as I get the articles and magazines and recommended books and podcast things that come my way, there's, there's this trend within the church. It's, it's very buzz-worthy. It's to be relevant. Make sure you're relevant, 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 relevant. It's, it's stressed over and over again. And I get it. I get where they're coming from, but 
But here's the thing. God's Word doesn't need our help to be relevant. It is always relevant. It is always timeless. There's nothing we can do, nothing I can do with all my cleverness and strategies that I might come up with. There's nothing I'm going to do to enhance the fact that God's Word is timeless and totally applicable. And that's what Peter is saying here. Verse 23, Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding Word of God. Then verse 24, he he emphasizes how imperishable and how living and abiding that Word is. Look look with me at what verse 24 says. For all flesh, and this is a a quote that Peter's making. He's referring back to Isaiah chapter 40, verses 6 through 8. He says, For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And even by referring to that quote, Peter's making his point. I mean, he's, remember, he's in the first century. He's addressing people that are scattered throughout all of Asia. He's he's addressing Gentile believers, something that never, ever happened before Christ. He's he's referring back to Isaiah. That's the Old Testament. He's talking to Gentiles. I mean, he's talking to Jews too, but he's also talking to Gentiles. What relevance, humanly speaking, would the Old Testament Jewish prophet Isaiah have for a Gentile Asian believer? And his point is, just like Isaiah said in the Old Testament, it's true for you today, which means extending all that to us today, it's all still relevant. All flesh is like grass, and its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, the flower falls. But the word of the Lord remains forever. And then he makes the application. And this word, that word, the word that remains forever, this word is the good news, the gospel, that was preached to you. So it's it's all still, he's just building, building one thing on another. You've obeyed the truth, that's God's word. You've obeyed it and it's resulted in it. It's the means for you to have a sincere brotherly love from a pure heart. And because you've been born again, you need to understand that that new birth came from nothing that's perishable and and temporary, but rather something that's imperishable, something that's eternal and abiding, the very Word of God. That's what was preached to you. That's what changes your life. It's the Word of God that changes a life. Because it's the Word of God that contains the Gospel. And only the Gospel can change a heart. Only the Gospel changes a heart. I love what Max Licato says. Uh, I'm sure most of you are familiar with Max Licato, even if it's just uh, uh, loosely familiar. I mean, he's, he's written so much and he's impacted uh, so much of what we do uh, in the church. Max Licato says this, The Bible has been banned, burned, scoffed, and ridiculed. Scholars have mocked it as foolish. Kings have branded it as illegal. A thousand times over, the grave has been dug and the dirge has begun. But somehow, 
the Bible never stays in the grave. Not only has it survived, it has thrived. Hallelujah for that. And that's, that's, what, that's what Peter is really saying. I mean, it, the Word of God is, is timeless. Nothing that comes against it will prevail over it. Uh, no matter what people try to do to take it away, no matter what people try to do to silence its message, it will not work. The, the Word of the Lord will remain forever, and the Word of the Lord will always have the power to change every single life. And that's why we need to know it. It's why we need to love it. It's why we need to proclaim it. And it's why we need to come back to it constantly. It's why we need to base everything in our lives on it. With that being said, uh, we're going to now look at chapter 2, verse 1 of chapter 2. And this is the second great expectation for those that are peculiar people. So the first expectation is love one another earnestly, love, love one another well. The second expectation, and really it's, it's in light of what was just said in these last verses of chapter 1, here it is, verse 1 of chapter 2, so, or therefore, you know, in light of, of what was just said about the timeless Word of God, the, the fact that it remains forever, that it's what is an imperishable seed that actually caused you to be born again. It's what brought you to the truth of the gospel. In light of that, so, therefore, put away. Put away. Get rid of. Uh, and, and really what is going to follow uh, is, is a list of five toxins. Toxins that are completely carcinogenic to us. If we, will, if we eat them, if we consume them, if we allow them to stay in our life, they're toxic, they're, they're carcinogenic. And, you know, that's, that's also a big trend right now in terms of, of uh, diet. You know, it's, it's everywhere you look. Avoid this food, avoid that food. Don't eat that because it's carcinogenic. Well, what isn't? <laughs> right? But there's nothing wrong with trying to eat healthy. There's nothing wrong with avoiding things that, that have uh, uh, bad levels of things in it. So what follows this statement, therefore put away or therefore or so get rid of, is a list of five toxins, spiritual toxins. And I, I would word it this way. It's why I chose this picture. It's Peter really is saying, get rid of the spiritual junk food. Get rid of it. Throw it out. Throw out those those spiritual horrible carbs, you know, the, the spiritual junk that you just don't need that's going to weigh you down and make you sluggish and, and provide uh, nothing but toxins for you. Get rid of them. And here's what it is. Therefore, put away, and here's the list. First, all malice. All malice. From where we, you get the word, uh, you know, malicious. Uh, something that's a willful, intentional desire to hurt someone. Uh, that's a legal thing. You know, was it done? Was the crime committed in malicious intent or was it accidental? So all malice, get rid of, put away all malice, the willful, intentional desire to hurt someone. This isn't, oh, I'm so sorry. I didn't realize I, I hurt you. It's, I want to hurt you. <laughs> so get rid of that. Here's the other, the, the next side, and this is all still in verse one. All deceit, all deceit. This is, that's deliberately distorting 
or hiding the truth. Usually, usually for your own advantage. Deliberately distorting or hiding the truth. All deceit. Hypocrisy. That's saying one thing and doing the exact opposite. Or pretending to be one thing when in reality you're completely something else. It, it comes, uh, the word that Peter used there for where we get our word hypocrisy in the Greek culture, it was what uh, people did for, with acting. They would wear masks. It was a stage performance. And they would put on different masks and play act and pretend to be different things. And that's the word he's using here. Saying one thing and doing the exact opposite or pretending to be one thing in reality or completely something else. And envy. He goes on still with this list. And envy. That's resenting someone else for their success or what they have. Uh, their stuff or their standard of living. You know, it's watching someone and seeing what they have or what they're able to go and do. And, and this jealousy just builds up in, in this, this resent, resentment. And it's, it's where you start saying, why not me? Why can't I? How come they? Why do they get to? And there's this bitterness that just grows and, and you start resenting. Instead of being happy for them and their success and their experiences, it's resenting that and, and wanting that for yourself. Get rid of envy. And then closely associated with that, slander and all slander, he says. Slander is, again, intentional. It's intentionally damaging someone else's reputation or testimony by lying or spreading rumors about them in order to make yourself look better or to get ahead of them in some way. And come on, you know that that's the norm in our culture. Every aspect of culture and society, that's the norm. That's standard operating procedure. Slander. It's everywhere. On every level. Entertainment, government, workplace. It doesn't matter. Uh, That is the norm in our culture. But... Christian, peculiar people, that should never be in the church. Slander should never, ever be a method that we we employ or pursue. That should never mark us. None of these should. These are the the five toxins, the spiritual junk food to get rid of. Therefore, put away these things, Peter says here in verse 1 of chapter 2. Why is that so important? Why did he stress that? Why is he emphasizing that? In light of what you have become, in light of what you now are, you've been born again by the imperishable seed of the Word of God that brought the Gospel into your life and changed you. In light of that, get rid of all of those things. Why? Why is that so important? Well, it's because our spiritual health is tied to our spiritual diet. Our spiritual health is tied to our spiritual diet. Parents, you know, and all of us know from when we had our parents doing this to us, parents are really good uh, and don't mind nagging at all when it comes to emphasizing healthy eating for their children. You know, you've got to eat the broccoli. You've got to eat the green beans. You've got to eat the carrots. I don't care if you don't like it. I didn't ask if you liked it. How many times have you said that or heard that? I didn't ask, do you like it? I didn't ask, do you want it? I said, here it is, eat it, right? 
Um, how many times did you sit at the table uh, for maybe an hour, two hours, because your parents told you you're not getting up until you eat, you know, whatever it was? Man, I remember one time. Dinner was at, you know, like five. I don't think I got up until like 8.30. And then they found the napkin with the green beans wadded up. So then I was in even more trouble. Yeah. Parents are, are really good at emphasizing eating healthy. And doctors, when you, it's not just parents. You think you, you escape it once you, you know, get older and you're out of the house. Nope, nope. Every checkup, you know, every time you're in the doctor, how are you eating? What are you eating? And if you go in for, a, for a, a symptom, you know, there's something going on, the first question is, well, what are you eating? It's all about eating, <clears throat> all about the diet. Parents and doctors emphasizing how important it is to eat healthy. Well, it's, it's the same kind of concept, but even more so, our spiritual diet is far more important, far more important. As important as our, as our physical diet is, our spiritual diet is far, far more so, far more important. You've uh, probably heard of the, the books or, uh, I don't know, maybe on video or something, the eat this, not that agenda or, or movement, eat this, not that. There's a whole range of things where they evaluate different foods and what's in them. And so there's a whole list, you know, eat this, not that. Um, that's really what we're, we're looking at here now between verses 1 and verse 2. Peter says, get rid of all those things. Get rid of the spiritual junk food. That's chapter 2, verse 1. So now, verse 2, it's an eat this, not that situation. Chapter 2, verse 2 says this, like newborn infants long or, or crave, that's literally what he's saying, crave for the, the pure spiritual milk. That's a metaphor for the Word of God, which is the main main source of nourishment for the child of God. The Word of God is the main source of nourishment for the child of God. That's a metaphor that he's using here. That's what he means by uh, the spiritual, pure spiritual milk. So, um, crave or long for the pure spiritual milk, that main source of nourishment, that by it, it being the pure spiritual milk, the Word of God, that by it you may grow up into salvation. That's sanctification. That's what Peter's saying. He, he's not, you know, he, he's saying you're saved. You've come into salvation, but now you need to keep growing in that salvation. Grow up, uh, mature, increasing, uh, be increasingly mature in Christ. How do you do that? How do we, how do we go through that? How do we grow and, and uh, mature and and increase in our sanctification, increase in our Christ-likeness, it's, it's all, again, it all comes back to the Word of God. That's our main source of nourishment. It's how we grow strong and healthy spiritually. And there's no substitute for that, Christian. That by it, by it, there's no other substitute for the pure Word of God. That is the uh, the pure milk, as Peter says, the pure spiritual milk that we need to long for, just like newborn infants do. You know, those, the, the, a newborn infant, I mean, they can be upset and, 
and you're just screaming their heads off, but man, when they get that, that warm bottle, life is good. Everything's all right until it's gone. And then they long for it again. That's the idea. That's how we're supposed to be. Just constantly craving, longing for the Word of God. We can't get enough of it. That's how it should be. That's what should define the child of God. And that's how we grow. Then verse 3, If indeed you have tasted, that's personally experienced, that the Lord is good. See, that's a, a natural result of genuine salvation. If we have personally experienced the goodness and the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, if we have savored Him and all of His richness, if we've savored personally experienced salvation, then we are going to naturally crave more and more spiritual nourishment, which comes from the Word of God, which is how we came to God in the first place. All fits together. So Peter's saying, if, if indeed you have tasted or personally experienced that the Lord is good, this should be true of you. You should crave that pure spiritual milk. So, what does all this mean? It means if you want to grow strong as a child of God, which every child of God will want to do, if you're truly a child of God, you're going to want to grow stronger as a child of God. If you want to do that, you have to be fed by His Word. You have to be fed by His Word. You will not grow. Everybody hear me on this. You will not grow apart from it. You will not. You can try all these other methods. And you can pursue all these other things. You can come to church every single week. You can hear a message. You can sing along with the songs. You can even... Pray regularly. You can uh, volunteer and you know, help others in need. You can do all kinds of charity work. But unless you are in the Word of God, being, being saturated by it, soaking it up, intentionally pouring over it and allowing it to pour into your life, unless you do that, you will not grow. There is just no substitute for the nourishment that comes from God's Word. So, let me, let me put it to you this way. Our spiritual growth will be stunted if we aren't saturated by God's Word. Our spiritual growth will be stunted if we aren't saturated by God's Word. Back to the, the parents, you know, hovering over us and nagging us about those, those nasty vegetables and other things we didn't want to eat. That was often the, the warning, right? You know, hey, if, if you want to grow big and strong and healthy, you better eat this. If you don't want to end up, you know, staying the, the size you are, you better eat this. There was that warning, you know, we don't want you to, to be stunted in your growth. You've got to be You've got to be eating the right thing for you to grow healthy and strong. Well, the same is true for every single Christian. If you don't want to be stunted in your spiritual growth, which, again, if you're truly a child of God, you're not going to want that to happen. So to avoid that, you have to be saturated by God's Word. And that should result in action. All of our feeding on the Word of God all of our digesting 
that nourishment from the Word of God, it's not meant to just sit there and stay in us. It's meant to result in action outside of us. It's meant to be external. It's meant to actually do something and cause things to change. Here's what James 1.22 says. But be doers of the Word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. James is saying, don't, don't think that it's enough just to hear the Word of God. You need to do something about it. It needs to translate into action. There needs to be something different in your life and then through your life. Do what the Word says. Feed on it, digest it, and then do it. Put it into action. Put it into practice. And with that in mind, I just want to leave you with these two questions. How's your love? How's your love? In other words, are you consistently, not not perfectly, but are you consistently, intentionally loving one another, loving others with a sincere, pure love like Christ loves you? Are you sincerely loving others, intentionally loving others? How's your love? Second question, how's your diet? I'm not talking about your physical diet. That's none of my business. How's your spiritual diet? What are, what are you craving? What are you consuming? Are you, are you craving that pure spiritual milk? That nourishment that comes from the Word of God, is that what you're craving and, and longing for and, and making sure you're, you're consuming? Or are you consuming all kinds of other things and, frankly, things that are opposite to the Word of God, and then sitting back, though, and wondering, why am I so sluggish spiritually? Man, why, why am I struggling with this spiritual obesity Why am I having all these problems spiritually? Well, could it be because of what you're eating spiritually and because of what you're not eating spiritually? So, how's your love? How's your diet? Only you can answer those questions, and really only the Holy Spirit can answer those for you. So, in in leaving you today as we wrap up, I just want to encourage you, take some time whether it's in the few moments as we close in worship uh, or after the service today, this week, take some time and, and ask the Holy Spirit to reveal that to you. Ask Him those questions. God, Holy Spirit, how is my love? You know better than, better than anyone else, how is my love? How's my diet? And then ask Him to reveal that to you and then to help you make the changes that are needed in either of those areas. That's what we need to do. Let's pray together. Father, I thank You for Your Word, that it is timeless, that it is relevant, that it is enduring, it's imperishable, it's living, it's active. It's not just what brings us the Gospel that changes our heart, but it's what continues to nourish us after we've received the Gospel. It's what helps us grow. So may we be saturated by it. Oh, Father, keep us from being stunted spiritually in our growth. May we keep being changed by Your Word. May we keep growing because of Your Word.
help us to love one another well because we've been born again and because we've been given the means to love each other well. We've been changed by the gospel. We've been given a new heart capable of loving one another. We have the Holy Spirit to fuel that love. So help us to do that. And it all does come back to your word. So help us to be constantly consuming it, changed by it, and then help us to do it. Help us to apply what we are being saturated by. All for your glory, in accordance with your will. And it's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen.